Welcome to Closing Crawl, a fan-made Clone Wars recap podcast. I'm Matt Hayward, delighted to see the Abyssins made the leap into canon in Burlingame, California. This is Drew in Chicago, and it's a real race to see whether we're going to get a Beastie Boys or Valeris audio drop first. This is Jared Wadsworth coming to you from the San Francisco Bay Area. And there are some citizens of the Republic, like myself, who believe the Jedi are not what they used to be. This is McCormick in Chicago, and I tried updating my dating profile pictures, but I still look like me. This week, we're capping Season 5, Episodes 17 and 18, Sabotage, and The Jedi Who Knew Too Much. Season 5, Episode 17, Sabotage. Jedi fortune cookie is, sometimes even the smallest doubt, can shake the greatest belief. The Separatists have invaded Cato Nemoidia because of what we can only assume is an internecine struggle in the Separatist ranks. The Cato Nemoidians are apparently Separatist in name only, and I'm not going to abbreviate that because there's enough yellow peril grossness with them already. Thank you very much. Anakin and Ahsoka are leading a clone invasion force in their starfighters. Anakin gets cocky and is covered in buzz droids. R2 says, don't threaten me with a good time and indulges in some fun-sized droid murder. Fortunately, he can't clear Anakin's undercarriage, and it is filthy with buzz droids. At this point, while watching, I passed out from STD joke paralysis. So, let's just move on. Anakin is unconscious and R2 lands the ship. Hey, he figured out how to murder those droids after all. R2 is being the murder he wants to see in the world. He rides the ship over a cliff because any murder worth doing is worth doing to the nth degree. Anakin has CTE, which probably doesn't help his fall to the dark side. Yoda space-times TM Anakin and tells him his butt back to Coruscant get. Someone bombed the Jedi Temple. Back in the temple, the council thinks that it wasn't the Separatists and was perhaps a... Dun-dun! Jedi. Since they know Anakin and Ahsoka weren't there, they are the ones tasked with investigating. Did Anakin put character points into perception or awareness or investigation? <gasps> Let's find out together. Anakin and Ahsoka walk through the bombed-out hangar amidst smoldering fires and... Crispy bodies. Gross. And Mace has also tasked a droid named Russo with investigating. Apparently Tandiva was Peter-principled out of his investigatory role. Mediocre white people fail upward even in a galaxy far, far away. Russo and Ahsoka go to interview the survivors. Anakin leans into his core competencies and glowers. The survivors are worried about a Jedi being behind things, but a Pantoran, knowing that the Jedi can't find their own butts with two hands, gives Ahsoka and Russo a solid lead. Jakar Bomani, but he's disappeared. Anakin joins the investigators and says that he consists the fear that a Jedi was involved growing in the temple. Anakin, because he has the self-awareness of a rock, said this, that this must have been a well-planned out caper to escape notice by the Jedi. No, not actually probably involving a ridiculous accent and a fake mustache. Family and friends of the victims gather, and Jakar's wife makes her presence known because we have to get things moving. Anakin promptly arrests and interrogates her. Lita thinks the Jedi are perceptive, and Anakin thinks that anyone can walk into the Jedi Temple, so it's a real scales-falling-from-eyes situation for them both. Meanwhile, Ahsoka and Russo have recreated the explosion with a hologram. They find no bomb residue, but they do find nanodroids. Jakar's file indicates he's a munitions expert with a specialty in nanoweaponry. Anakin and Ahsoka report back, and Mace Window is really results-oriented, not so much interested in good processes. The Senate apparently are concerned with clone death, What? and Mace is feeling the heat. 
Russo has found Jakar's hand and the nanodroids were in his bloodstream, so he set us up the bomb, as it were. Anakin and Ahsoka investigate the rundown tenement that Jakar lives in, and they get so close to the truth when they say that they thought working for the Jedi paid better. So close, you two. Ahsoka and Anakin find the meal that Jakar ate that was laced with nanodroids. Leta agrees to go along quietly, but at the first chance she runs, which is the best way to keep Anakin's attention this side of explosions. She thinks she's getting away, but Jedi are pretty good at this sort of thing. Leta lets slip that Jakar is dead, and Ahsoka is all, we didn't say he was dead. And there it is. Leta says they've got nothing on her, and Anakin is pretty pissed that the Jedi are getting blamed for this, and he gets real close to yellow eyes. Leta admits to everything, but says this is bigger than they know. And I mean, it, it could be bigger than a breadbasket, and that could be true for the Jedi. Russo says the temple is clear and the Jedi are cleared from all wrongdoing. Anakin says that some Jedi will fail to live up to their code, but as long as they're a good Jedi, it's all worthwhile. Pretty insightful for Padme's sex idiot. And credits. Early on in this episode, we get the television debut of the 82 Actus Jedi Starfighter, as previously seen in Revenge of the Sith. Hey, we got the cool ships now, guys. Also, they do the same thing that happens in Revenge of the Sith with the Starfighter. I'm not entirely sure why we needed to introduce them the same way we introduced them before. Yoda lets Anakin and Ahsoka know that they specifically need to get back to Coruscant because they're the only ones who can help. Yes. And this is kind of confusing. I mean, so they get back to the temple. There's just sort of a general, well, anyone here could have done this. And as I guess Anakin and Ahsoka are the only people who weren't here, they're just automatically the only good investigators? You would think Terra Sanube would be their go-to. We're not that lucky. The bombing has happened. Yoda had to hear rumblings that, well, it could have been a Jedi. And they're like, there's still smoke. Like, it's still burning. How little time has passed for them to <laughs> assess the damage, figure out a Jedi might be involved, call Anakin and Ahsoka, get them back. And it's just like, put the freaking fire out, guy. Uh, I, everything is the speed of plot far away, unfortunately, in Star Wars. So we're setting up Anakin and Ahsoka as the investigators, but Mace says a few really boneheaded things in this episode, and one of them is here, where he indicates that Anakin and Ahsoka will be able to provide an impartial point of view. From a certain point of view. Which just seemed like an extremely detached from reality perspective. Or it's like, I don't know. It's just like, oh, we've had an accounting fraud at our company. Let's bring in the junior accountant who works from home. They can be an impartial investigator of this. It's like, if you want an impartial investigator, go get one. Anakin's not it. Is that just like the Jedi being like, they're emotionless? Like, we're all super good at this, not being in touch with our emotions, so we'll always do the right thing? I could maybe credit that argument, except the thing that we're worried about is literally a Jedi blowing up the temple. So that sort of puts lie to our, no, we're all dispassionate. Upon being delivered the news, Ahsoka is right out the gate saying, I, I can't believe a Jedi would attack a place this sacred. So maybe if we're having an arc for Ahsoka in these episodes, it seems like we want to begin her at this place of unquestioning allegiance to the Jedi Order and belief in their ideals, and that we're going to like change that as we go. And we're definitely setting up an arc for Ahsoka in these episodes. It is kind of ham-handed story writing. To express our character arc solely by just having the character just say, I believe X, 
I believe X, even if they haven't. Yoda says, Careful, you must be, Skywalker. If willing to destroy the temple, the attacker is. To great lengths they will go, to keep from being caught. And Anakin says, Then I guess we'll have to go to even greater lengths to catch him. Which is something they actually have been developing in Anakin with his little tete-a-tete with Tarkin. So I actually thought that was kind of good here, but also a little bit weird that in a room full of Jedi Masters, no one was like, Anakin, no. <laughs> Except that the entire rest of these two episodes, he's got rose-colored glasses on. He's very much towing the Jedi line. There was some real whiplash with Anakin's characterization in these two. It really feels like the writers have felt like in order to make this storyline work, we have to get to a point where by the end of our second episode that we're talking about, there is a wedge driven between them where they can't necessarily work together. And so so people are just taking positions that let us get to that narrative point. Well, so fast forwarding into our investigation a little bit here, we find ourselves in the bombed out bay and Anakin is, it looks like he's doing a little force something or other. And he says, I can still hear the screams. We know that Yoda can see maybe like impressions of the future. I'm not sure we've seen a Jedi like looking into the past. Seems like if a Jedi could look into the past, that would be a really excellent way to investigate a bombing. Is this a new force power? I'd like to bring up the example of Jedi Knight Quinlan Voss, who has the power of psychometry. We've even seen him on this television show. Yeah, but I learned from Jared Wadsworth, this guy I know. <laughs> that's just because Quinlan Voss is a metahuman of some type. That's not a Jedi power. It is a metahuman power in the old extended universe, I think. Oh, okay. So, so if that's not canon here, then yeah, totally. The only thing we have on that in the current canon, I believe, is that appearance in that one episode. So that may be a Jedi power. After that brief interlude, we get back to more of the philosophical back and forth with Ahsoka and Anakin. And this is one of the spots where Anakin seems to be off his normal bit a little bit. He mentions that not every Jedi agrees with this war, Ahsoka. There are many political idealists among us. Anakin is a weird person to be referring to these folks as political idealists, I think. Like, Anakin doesn't trust political idealists. That's an okay thing for him to say. But him saying that those are idealists and this is what happens to them seems like a weird point to me. I had a question about this whole thing with Krell, mostly related to Ahsoka's flabbergastedness that a Jedi could do something like this. And I was wondering, does she not know <laughs> about what Krell got up to? And then I began to wonder even, like... Maybe in the report that Rex filed, was Rex like deciding he didn't want the kind of heat that would be brought on by saying a Jedi went rogue like that? And maybe the report they issued was, oh, yeah, maybe some bad command decisions. And then Dogma got upset and murdered this guy with no mention of his little speech about a new dark force rising. Do we think that perhaps he completely glossed over it and was just like there was a lot of friendly fire out there? It's tough to say who did what. <laughs> That's even better, yeah. <laughs> if it weren't for this line, I would think so. I, it certainly sounds like Anakin is saying to Ahsoka, no, this happened, remember? The thing that is kind of disturbing is that his characterization of Pong Krell and Dooku as political idealists, that's not how I would necessarily characterize those two. Like, fanatics? Possibly. Psychos? Sure. But like political idealists, that was a weird choice of words, and I can't quite parse it. It's actually not hard to do it for Dooku. The general in-universe explanation for Dooku is that he is the idealist who is leading the Separatists away from the Republic because of the Republic's corruption. 
that's the separatist storyline is this guy who used to be a Jedi comes out and says, I am here for you, the people, to save you from the corrupt republic. Join me and we'll make a better universe for us. So Dooku's public face in the universe as the head of the separatist government is very much that of a political idealist. Anakin and Ahsoka have reason to believe differently. Anakin, I'm pretty sure, knows that he's a Sith, right? Yeah, they, they I mean, he's had lightsaber do. duels with him on multiple occasions. And he, so. he knows he's got a couple red lightsabers. That seems pretty Sithy to me, I guess. Yes, but at least Anakin would have a background where he could refer to Dooku as a political idealist and have that be a generally accepted mode of reference. Now, Pong Krell, on the other hand, I don't really know where he got that from. <laughs> Pong Krell did not really express a lot of politics. He just sort of said, well, I've seen the future, and what I've seen is the Sith are in charge. So, I'm signing up <laughs> with the winners. There's <laughs> nothing a little music can't help. We are at the point where we get the introduction of this episode's side character, crime scene analysis droid Russo ISC, who seems to have some familiar traits from popular television shows of this era, like the fact that his name has CSI in it and he keeps taking his glasses on and off to punctuate things he says and is named after David Caruso, the lead actor in CSI Miami. This guy's like, unlike most of our robots, he's super competent and Anakin defers to him on a couple occasions. Anakin's like, let's do thing A. And the robot's like, no, thing B for good reason C. And Anakin's like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is a weird competent robot. So we're interviewing some people who are at the blast site and they kind of get a freebie where one of the people in the med bay is just like, oh, I I think I know who did this, by the way. (laughs) Let me tell you all about him. And so they get a name and later on we're looking this person up and it is an Abyssin, the desert dwellers that were first introduced, I believe, in the West End role playing game. And I played an Abyssian once, and they have the novel ability to regenerate any part of their body given enough time. It made me wonder if even there was something going on there with the storyline here where maybe this person was convinced to turn themselves into a bomb because, like, the idea was that just their hand would be a bomb or something. And so they just, like, cut off their hand and blow that up as a bomb, but they would survive. There were, like, so many possibilities in play for me here. In the end, I don't think it ends up meaning anything, but I was excited. I think we're all excited anytime West End game stuff comes in. The Abyssins were fantastic. As part of this, we also see uh, war protesters outside the Jedi Temple, which I believe were last mentioned being blamed for an explosion in season one and then have never been mentioned again. But hey, they're back now. It's nice to see them. There are some people with some sort of facial mask and ceremonial robes that were just sort of hanging out in front of the Jedi Temple. They were security, but they weren't clones. Do we know who those people are? Uh, So those are the Jedi Temple guards who make their first appearance in this episode. And the Jedi who is uh, standing out in front of them is Sindralig, the Jedi Swordmaster. The one thing I really enjoyed about this part was we actually finally get to see some anti-war protesters in Star Wars. And I know that they're obviously the loved ones of the deceased in the Jedi Temple bombing, but you would think that they might be on the side of the Jedi, but they're not. Like We finally get to see this popular sentiment turning against the Jedi in a way that I don't know that we have up until this point. 
yeah, I think this is the first time we've put this on screen. It hasn't even really been mentioned, except like that weird Chancellor Palpatine video screen speech where he's saying, now look, I know many people think the Jedi are bad, but trust me, they're not. They are really not trying to take over the Republic. That's just rumors. Yeah, it would have been better if they were sprinkled through. We saw it a little bit, just hints and illusions, because this isn't the normal people story. This is the Anakin story. Also, this scene, we get the introduction of Letta Termund, who is an important character in our investigation, but is voiced by Carrie Walgren, a voice actor who's new to the series. So we'll take a quick detour to the voice actor corner to mention what she's done before. Equally at home in comedy and drama, theater, film, and television. Carrie Walgren is an American voiceover actress, mostly notable for doing English dub voices for a lot of anime properties. She's a person who has so many credits that I'm definitely going to be missing something that's your favorite if you're a Carrie Walgren fan, so I apologize in advance. Some of her most notable work includes Haruko in Fully Cooley, Robin in Witch Hunter Robin, Lavi in Last Exile, Fu in Samurai Shampoo, and Ariel in Robotech The Shadow Chronicles, which is not actually notable, but I'm a Robotech fan, so deal with it. She's also done a bunch of video game work, including uh, the voice of Willow Rosenberg in Buffy the Vampire Slayer Chaos Bleeds, Fabronia and Pellegri in the Xenosaga series, Tatiana Romanova in the From Russia with Love video game, Ash in Final Fantasy XII, Evelyn Parker in Cyberpunk 2077, and the female Jedi Knight player character in the Star Wars The Old Republic MMO. So, some other Star Wars stuff. Uh, she's also voiced in Star Wars video games, the Jedi Knight Sarah Kido in the Revenge of the Sith video game, and Ayla Sakura and Darth Phobos in The Force unleashed. So all kinds of good stuff. When we start talking with Letta Termund, we find out some stuff about our main suspect and we do what to me seems like a weirdly out of order bit of detection where we find out who our main suspect is, Jakar. Then we find his wife. Then we put him at the scene of the crime. Then we figure out what caused the explosion. And then we find out what our main suspect's job was. And it turns out his job was doing the thing that caused the explosion. I'm not saying that these aren't all important pieces of information, but given that he was an employee of you, it seems like his employment records would have been earlier in this list of detection. Yeah, a rare blunder for Russo ISC here. He's a nano-explosive specialist. I feel like perhaps we could have figured out sooner that he might be involved. I assumed when it was nanodroids, I was like, oh man, that points the finger squarely at the Separatists, right? But the fact that it was someone who worked for the Jedi being an expert on that stuff, kind of weird. Is this a technology we've seen the Jedi have before? They have people who just build nano explosives all the time, but we never use them. They're prohibited or something. Well, especially in the Jedi temple, like that strikes me as unnecessarily convoluted. Oh, well, as we all know, it's an important point that leads to us finding out who the real killer is. It's obviously him. And somewhere in here, we get introduced to a dead hand laying on a slab. <laughs> It's even weirder than that. There, he, Anakin and Ahsoka are talking about something and get a phone call. It's just like, get down here. We've found Jakar. But hey, you mentioned Abyssin can regenerate uh, given enough time. So maybe he's not dead. I want to see that hand in a back to tank stat. I'm just the pieces of the man I used to be. Anakin and Ahsoka, they find out where Jakar lives and they get real classist when they start like investigating his apartment tenement. Especially because he worked for them. Well, that's what Anakin says. He goes, I would have thought working for the Jedi paid more. <laughs> like, Wait, so does he say that, that or was does Ahsoka. Ahsoka say that? Ahsoka oh, that was Ahsoka? That. 
So as we enter the tenement and we're looking around for stuff, this was a really suspenseful scene and it was just done super well. It's dark. Anakin and Ahsoka split up. So looking in different areas. The scene is taking its time with it, like Anakin's, oh, checking behind a, like a painting on the wall to see if there's anything hidden. There's not. He's like running his fingers along like the back of items to see if there's a bug or a secret compartment. And it's cutting back and forth between them. And the music is getting more and more intense. And I was pretty sure that one of the two of them was going to get blown up in the scene. Like there was going to be a bomb or a close call at least. And it kind of comes to a head when Anakin gets to a pile of data pads. And one of the data pads is projecting an image of a clone trooper helmet with like a Ghostbusters line through it. So clearly there's some sort of anti-clone sentiment going on here. This scene was amazing. It was intense. And it made me wonder if... It was an homage to some specific sequence in a Hitchcock film or something. It definitely had a horror movie feel to it. And like there was even a part where Ahsoka was in a hallway and for a second you could see behind her in the hallway and then she shifted and blocked that view and then shifted again to reveal the back of the hallway And it almost felt like the mirror gag in horror movies Mm. where someone's in the bathroom and they open the mirror to get medicine out of it. And then they close it and there's, oh, there's someone behind them. I thought they were going to do that. It was, I thought that whole, I agree with you, that whole scene was really well done. I don't know if there's a specific reference. I do know that all of these episodes, both the two we're talking about in this podcast and we're talking about next podcast, are named after Hitchcock movies. So maybe it's just a sort of general sentiment they were attempting to get. The breaking of the suspense in the apartment is mostly finding that there are nanobots there, too, which means that this is the place where the bomb was set. And then Letta shows up, and over the course of the discussion, Ahsoka says that Car was turned into a bomb, and then Letta indicates that Jakar is dead, and Anakin springs the gotcha trick of nobody ever said he was dead. Which is true. No one said he was dead, but Ahsoka did say he was turned into the bomb, which blew up the Jedi Temple. So I don't feel like that's a huge inductive leap to make. Yeah, I had to go back and rewatch this because I was like, wait, didn't they tell her that he was dead? (laughs) Oh, I guess not. Not technically. And then shortly after that, Letta, having been caught with her words, tries to escape. And Ahsoka really gets in with the... Running means you know more than you're telling us. Running proves you had something to do with the bomb. And really, that's what we're going with? Ahsoka is a cop, first of all. And second of all, no, I don't want to be captured and interrogated by Jedi. It does not actually mean I have something to hide. I thought it was awesome like to show exactly how far above normal people Jedi are. They basically ran her down without breaking a sweat. I have you now. They were just like flipping all over stuff. She got a head start on them and they were just kind of like doing a Jason walk after her. It was very <laughs> ominous. There's a moment here where there's this little known writing technique called foreshadowing in which Anakin <laughs> instructs Ahsoka to quote, take the high road. Unquote. <laughs> I thought that was nice. And Ahsoka, she says those two things about like, oh, you must be guilty because you're running away and this proves you knew about more than you're telling us. But she also gets like really actually pretty mad. I am so pissed at you right now! And says, People blamed Jedi because of you. 
People were killed because of you. Which first, Ahsoka, priorities. One first. Blaming the Jedi is definitely worse than killing people. No, she was definitely poorly characterized here. Like, they kept switching back and forth between Anakin and Ahsoka and, like, having them say completely ridiculously out of character things. It was definitely a little on the weird side. Yeah, right right after this, Ahsoka and Anakin are, like, questioning, what even does it mean to be a Jedi? And Anakin says, There are going to be Jedi who disappoint us, Ahsoka. But as long as we know there are good Jedi who fight for what's right, it makes it all worthwhile. Which seems a very, like, Obi-Wan thing to say, not an Anakin thing to say. Anakin, as Drew has pointed out, has, like, main character syndrome. And Anakin's not at the center of that comment at all. So <laughs> Yeah, no, that it was wild for him. But also, like, it's kind of the Anakin that I think we might have wanted. It's a very heroic thing to say. It's just not something that Anakin has or ever would say. It could also just show that he's growing. He's learning. He's got a Padawan that he's trying to raise the right way, in which obviously we know his downfall is coming soon. This arc and the last arc we talked about are really making clear, like somewhere in the writer's room, we flipped the switch to, hey, it's about to be Revenge of the Sith time. We need to really start driving the narrative towards that place. I just want to point out as the episode is wrapping up, the camera pulls out and you see like this long view of a hallway and there's people walking down the hallway and having conversations and doing their own stuff. And there's just a youngling in the middle of the hallway swinging around a lightsaber <laughs> with one of the blast helmets with the blast shield down <laughs> doing training with two masters there. But again, just like there's people walking here. It seemed a little careless. It's sort of a Jedi thing. Hands and feet always getting cut off. It's these lightsabers. They're quite dangerous. Our next episode is Season 5, Episode 18, The Jedi Who Knew Too Much. Our Jedi fortune cookie is Courage Begins by Trusting Self, One's Self, Once Elf. Anyway, our radio announcer tells us the Jedi are trying to return the temple to normalcy as Master Yoda Yugoogalizes the fallen Jedi. Ahsoka talks to Barriss Afi, who is taking this hard since she trained with one of the fallen, Tutsamara. Yoda tells the attendees to live for the living. After the services, Tarkin tells Anakin, Ahsoka, and Barriss that the bomber, Leta Termond, has been captured. Ahsoka argues that the Jedi should have her, but Leta will be held by the military since clones and civilians died as well. Anakin tells Ahsoka to comfort Barriss and follows Tarkin into the lift with basically a women, am I right, kind of comment. While comforting Barriss, Ahsoka is summoned back to the war room for her next mission. While there, Tarkin space-times in, TM, to say that Leta will only speak with Ahsoka. Leta reveals that a Jedi made her do it, and that this Jedi thinks the once peacekeepers need to stop their warmongering. After Ahsoka gains her trust, Leta reveals that it was Jedi Master that made her do it. The video of the cell shows Ahsoka with arms outstretched, while Leta is being force-choked, and there is no audio. Less talking helps. As such, Ahsoka looks to have killed her and is imprisoned for the crime. Anakin tries to visit, but he is refused per Tarkin's orders. 
Ahsoka sees a keycard in the hallway, Force swipes it, and gets out of her cell. She runs into stunned clones and sees her comlink and lightsaber on the ground. She runs and comes across dead clones as well, and she's getting the blame for all of the carnage and chaos. Anakin tries to stop her, but she doesn't listen, and she feels she needs to clear her own name. Anakin issues a shoot-to-stun order. She flees into the sewer system. While searching every henhouse, farmhouse, and outhouse, Anakin finds her. She proclaims that... I didn't kill my wife! in her best Harrison Ford voice, then <laughs> proceeds to Richard Kimball onto a passing ship. In yet another bit of strange Anakin Ahsoka characterization, after Tarkin announces that Leda has been taken into custody, Ahsoka's pretty upset about this. And Anakin says, It's not for us to be judge and jury over a citizen of the Republic. And Ahsoka responds, If Leda's guilty, she's guilty, and she should be dealt with. To which Anakin says, basically, like, hey, settle down, like, revenge is not the Jedi way. Anakin saying out loud, it's not for us to be judge and jury, is... Is ludicrous. Yeah, he, like, <laughs> totally stabbed that guy through the heart on the space barge and was like, what? Like, you, was I supposed to let him get away with it? <laughs> I have to assume that on the script, it was like, A says one thing and A says another, and Ashley Eckstein just, like, started reading the wrong lines <laughs> and the Anakin voice actor just went with it. And they were like, we don't have time to redo this. Let's just go with it. It's fine. I kid Ashley Eckstein. You're a wonderful. And I know you listen. Matt Lanter, on the other hand, after that discussion, Tarkin explains that Palpatine wants the Jedi removed from military matters. And this is another thing that I feel like we probably could have shown somewhere before now, rather than just having it announced by Fiat. But at least for this one, we can pretend that this is just, Sheev being Sheev and just coming up with new orders to screw with everyone. Right around here, Ahsoka and Barris Afi strike up a conversation in the hall, and Afi is asking her a bunch of questions. The first time I watched the episode, I didn't make anything of this, but the second time through, I was like, oh, Barris is 100% up to something here. And it seems to me what she's up to is that she's got something she wants to tell Ahsoka, but she's not sure if that would be safe. And so she's kind of like probing Ahsoka to see if Ahsoka would keep whatever secret or big news she has to herself. And Ahsoka is like not picking up on this at all and just kind of responding with very much like the Jedi standard line. And you can tell that Barris is a little bit like bummed out about that by her facial expressions. And Barris says something pretty backhanded to Ahsoka. I don't remember exactly what. But Ahsoka's like, the Jedi should prevail. And Barris is like, you know, you've always had a keen eye for situations. <laughs> like, anyway, what do you think Barris is up to here? The fact that Barris was like, emotions, some bad things are happening. Like, I'm having problems dealing with all of the insane pressure and stress of the war. Like, you don't bring a named character back just from like a narrative perspective. Barris is at least going to be tangentially involved, I would assume. But like, this is another one of those chances for Ahsoka if she was on the ball a little bit. And that's the weird thing about Ahsoka is she's usually super on the ball. And for her to be like, yeah, we all have those problems. Like we all have like emotions and like, it seems like a very Obi-Wan thing where he's like, yeah, we have these emotions and we have these problems living up to this code. It's a hard code to live by. But that's what makes it worthwhile. 
And Ahsoka just blows it off because she's like reading Anakin's lines this time. It was very weird to me. Yeah. I just went and like skimmed over the dialogue in that scene. At first, she says, do you think it's right that we suppress our emotions? Like, do you think that's a morally good teaching? And Ahsoka deflects. She doesn't answer that. She says, well, my master would say we should overcome our emotions. And it's like, Ahsoka, Barris didn't fucking ask you what Anakin would say about this. <laughs> anyway. Ahsoka immediately references the time they were stuck in a battle tank. And Barris, the time they were stuck in the battle tank, would not have asked about whether we should be repressing our emotions or not. She was the most by the book. Yeah, the straight A student. Yeah, yeah straight sure. A student, always doing everything, always following the rules. That Barris would definitely not have questioned, should we be thinking more about our feelings? But Ahsoka does not pick up on that. So Ahsoka walks away and we see Barris, and she looks like both conflicted and sad, which makes me wonder if she might not be like involved in this, or at least it makes me think that Luminara might be involved. Like she's like, oh, should I be emotionally invested in my Mm. master type thing? It just was, it was such a weird beat where she just looked so sad and so like this was her one chance to tell someone and then yeah Ahsoka did not pick up on it because she's just whatever narratively convenient i guess but kind of heartbreaking and in a way that the show isn't generally it was very sad like Barris seemed yeah. really like hurt everyone told me not to stroll on that beach said seagulls gonna come poke me in the coconut Pretty soon in here, Leda calls for Ahsoka to come visit her in jail, says she's got some information, but she can, she's only willing to tell Ahsoka. So Ahsoka heads to the Republic Detention Center, which is just a wonderful example of brutalist imperial architecture. You know, these people really nailed the aesthetic of the Empire in this prison facility. And you get some new vehicles. Like there's a six wheeled, like we actually have, we see a vehicle with wheels. (laughs) But yeah, just the amount of stuff immediately outside the prison, like ready for an attack or a riot. And yeah, it was definitely the military prison industrial complex there. The introduction of the prison plays really well off that where the clones are still being friendly with Ahsoka, right? Like they, they have a good relationship. They have respect for her. She doesn't sense anything is wrong. But we as the audience know from all the like semiotics of the prior films that like this is a dangerous and threatening environment she's going into. That was really well done. We get a shot for shot lift from Tarkin walking in on Leia's prison cell. Oh, do we? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like the part where he opens the door on the detention cell that Leia oh, is in okay. is shot for shot from him seeing Leia. So when Ahsoka was talking to Barris in the temple, the lighting was definitely sort of like the sun going down. And then everything takes place in the dark after this. Nobody gets it yet, but like things have changed and we have moved past daytime for the, for the Republic. And we are definitely into like the dark night of the soul mm, type thing. That's nice. It was beautiful. It, like you're like, Oh man, they are really like visually they're killing it. And then to like reinforce that, when Soka is in the detention center with Leta, she's like, the Jedi have been corrupt. They're warmongers. They are hurting people. Like they're not peacekeepers and they're not protectors anymore. And so, yeah, like people are very upset with them. And like Ahsoka's kind of like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Leta was right about everything. I think this sort of like 
is our podcast hypothesis writ large. Like she makes it explicit that the Jedi kind of suck now. And perhaps that's why Anakin falls is it was just like kind of nice that other people see it. It's not just us. There's just a random background stuff that I want to note is that a couple times over the course of our prison scene, we see see security camera displays showing people who are imprisoned in here. And uh, amongst the prisoners, in addition to Let It Termined, we also get General Worm Loathsome, last seen in the Clone Wars movie, Poggle the Lesser of Geonosis, and Hamor. So, hey, we're doing a good job. We got all these people just hanging out here in prison. So at this point, Anakin decides to try to spring Ahsoka and the fact that these clones step to him is wild. I mean, on the uh, like clone instant messaging system, they have to be like, don't mess with Anakin. He's the scariest guy in the entire universe, right? Yes. They're just more scared of Tarkin than they are of Anakin. I cannot believe that. What were you saying, Hayward, that it's like red light, green light? Where if you just follow behind Anakin, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be safe from everything. So we've got Anakin, who gets a lot of clones murdered, but also keeps a lot of clones alive. And then you've got Tarkin. So are we starting to see like a reprioritization? Like the Galactic Republic military is starting to move away from the Jedi. Like they're being de-emphasized. Well, yeah, I, I, Tarkin said that explicitly like five minutes before this scene. Governor Tarkin. I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. Charming to the last. I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony. You may fire when ready. I think part of the reason we are seeing that in this episode is to make the point Tarkin was making of, hey, we understand you Jedi are important, but we're going to let the military run the military. These episodes did have several points where they set up for me, an expectation of what was going to happen and then went a different direction. And the acme of that was in this scene where, like, Anakin is getting pissed, right? Like Drew said, we are almost at yellow eyes. And he just kind of swallows it and heads on out of here. And I was like, wow, like, I thought for sure um, some people were going to die. Maybe we could justify it in the sense of Anakin has a great respect for Tarkin. Like they're kind of fast friends from the last time they met. Yeah. Well, I don't actually want Anakin like murdering guard clones who are doing their job. That would be objectively bad. But the idea to me that Anakin was going to let rules keep him away from his Padawan was like, I didn't think Anakin was that lawful. (laughs) Right. I thought he'd be like, well, those are some nice rules, but I'm going in there. And if you'd like to stop me, we can see how that will play out for you. And in some ways, it's a counterpoint to how we started these two episodes out with Ahsoka crashing a starfighter and leaping out of her other starfighter in order to save Anakin. No matter what, this is clearly going to kill both of us. I have to save Anakin. I'll do whatever it takes to do. Then um, basically, at this point, there's like a jailbreak, right? And Ahsoka gets the key card. And or she finds a key card conveniently outside of her prison cell. She's like, Anakin, you've done it again. And she swipes it and is just like, prison break. I can't wait to see what you've got planned. I was like, this is fantastic that Ahsoka and Anakin have basically been doing whatever they want for so long that they just sort of assume that it's all going to work out for them. 
And in this point, like someone obviously knows them well enough to know that like they can use their complete ambivalence toward any sorts of like rules or regulations against them. Well, so to what you're saying, though, there's this phrase about how you can't cheat an honest man. And that does seem kind of like what's going on here, right? The This is a masterful setup, but it totally 100% relies on the fact that Ahsoka will force power a dropped key card in order to escape her cell. Like if she doesn't do that, then just like this plan doesn't work. Yeah, but well, ideally, if she was willing to be arrested in the first place, she would be like, okay, everything is going to work out. Like, I'm going to trust the system. But she and Anakin have just been saying the system isn't nearly as fast or as comprehensive as we want it to be. So we're just going to go do whatever we want and it'll all work out for us because we're the heroes. And then here you have this, oh yeah, no, this is what happens when other people get involved and maybe your willingness to just like do crazy shit all the time isn't a good thing. So with that said, here's an art note. As Ahsoka is escaping and running through the Imperial facility, there's a bit where she leaps upon a giant rock object and runs through the sky with people shooting at her. And the big thing she's jumping on is a Geonosis War Memorial. It's a giant hunk of rock from Geonosis that has the names of the deceased inscribed on it, kind of a a Vietnam Memorial style. So yeah, it's a cool thing that is never explained anywhere in this episode. And also, it seems a little weird to me that we went through constructing this monument in the middle of the war. Often you wait till the end of wars to do that i keep going back to a new hope when c-3po and r2 were in luke's garage and you saw maybe like five percent of the stuff that was in there but they built everything and it made you think oh my gosh there's such a larger world here and then seeing ahsoka run on this you're like oh yeah i remember when star wars was like super awesome and it didn't necessarily have to tell you that there was a larger world out there it just sort of implied that there was all sorts of stuff going on and there were stories that weren't being told, like a little kid using the force to grab a broom to sweep some stuff up. Like, I loved this so much. It gave me goosebumps and it took me right back. There were these monolithic clone statues. There's this like very impressive courtyard with these big red banners that are flapping in the wind. And it was very much like a space that conveyed the sense of both like a memorial, but also a sort of like scary big brother authoritarian sci-fi memorial. So at some point when the chase is going on, Anakin is talking to a bunch of clones and he it's through his comm link and he's just like set weapons to stun. I want her alive because, again, everything needs to be a quote from the originals. But they do set their weapons to stun. And if you thought lightsabers deflecting blaster bolts was cool, like lightsabers deflecting stun bolts is a hundred times cooler. It's so cool. It like turns into like water kind of sort of. Or like it's like a soap bubble popping or something like they they sort of come undone. It's great. Yeah. The Jedi are operating on a completely different level than just about anybody else. And Ahsoka, like you have an elite core of clones after her and she's just like running away. They can't, they literally can't touch her. It was wild. It was so cool. The thing I will say content wise about this is right after we've gotten the uh, 
strong implication of, hey, the Empire is here with this military base and all of that. We, Our climax of this episode is Anakin Skywalker leading clone troopers hunting down a Jedi, which, uh, again, hey, the Empire is here. McCormick, take us home with uh, how this episode ends. Yeah, so Ahsoka, Richard Kimball's off the pipe, and Anakin doesn't chase her. We clearly know that he likes falling and jumping out of things and jumping onto other ships. He easily could have followed her. So why didn't he jump? He didn't see an opportunity to spin, and spinning is a better trick. <laughs> I thought this was a very poignant parting of the ways, where Anakin's like, he doesn't want to let her go, and she convinces him, basically, like, Anakin, if I go with you, I'm going to be tried, convicted, and executed, as Poncrell would say. And I think he realizes she's right and is like, yeah, I have to let her go. And like, somehow we'll fix this later. But the way to fix this is not by me taking her in right now. When we introduce Ahsoka to Anakin back in the Clone Wars movie with Yoda saying that he's going to need to learn how to let go of his attachments. Like, that's the lesson we're trying to impart to Anakin Skywalker through this whole process. And maybe it worked. I mean, no, it didn't. But yeah, (laughs) I guess we'll find out. How about favorite things then? Let's do it. All right. My favorite thing is that this is a an incredible example of the Jedi being super disassociated from reality in the galaxy. Like I, I love the fact that they're like superhumans. They are jumping around all crazy, like real ultimate ninjas, and they like have literally no idea what anybody is going through. They're like, what you can't just like jump around like a maniac and outrun a bunch of clones. And you don't have all the money in the world. What is happening? Like it just, everybody resents the Jedi and they they're right to do so. I'm glad we're finally making the implication a little bit more explicit. This was really cool. My favorite part was at the memorial for the people who died in the blast Yoda invites the audience to have a moment of silence, and Ahsoka immediately <laughs> begins talking to Barris. <laughs> it's like, have some respect, you do. That's how the real moments of silence in big crowds go, though. Yeah, you know totally. that. I think my favorite part here is the continuation of this show telling stories that are advancing the overall arcs of things and are getting us to where we are in Revenge of the Sith. And good job on them for doing the work, even if they're not doing it perfectly sometimes. I'll second that and then just add in, again, really good storytelling, really good tension, going back to that, the inspection of Letta's home. And it just, it felt creepy. I was waiting for something bad to happen. They were building tension. And again, in a 22-minute episode, they dedicated enough time to this search to build that tension without wasting time in, in, in a television episode that has to be very short. Join us next time when we cover the finale of season five episodes numbered 19 and 20 to catch a Jedi and the wrong Jedi. You can follow us at closing crawl on Twitter. If you like the show and want to help us subscribe or recommend us to a friend. And check out our merch at bit.ly slash spacetimetm. Thanks as always to Bad Lip Reading for our intro and bumper music. 
And once again, our apologies to Mark Hamill. We simply ran out of time. It's really late, Mark. We're sorry. I used to glide on my speed of